Welcome to Dungeons & Dinners, where the love of fantasy is food for thought. I'm your host, Brett Lindley, and today I've got a special guest. Eric Parker joins us from the amazing Maps & Quests. With our powers combined, we've built a flexible D&D adventure module called the Mansion of the Mad Mage, which you can find a link to in the description or by following either of us on social media. I've also launched my own Patreon to help fund more amazing projects like this one. If you're interested in supporting either the podcast or future bonus content, head on over to patreon.com slash dungeonsanddinners. Let's get on with the episode. Welcome! Take a seat anywhere. Be right with you. All right, like I said in the intro, we are here today with the wonderful Eric Parker of Maps and Quests on both Patreon and Twitter. Uh, Eric, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited. Um, you're our first. You're the stuff. first guest. Yeah, like congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I feel honored. I feel very you honored. You should. It was. I feel really honored. Like, I, I don't know. I've been so excited and impressed and just elated with the speed at like TTRPG Twitter. I had no idea what I was getting into. And the fact that like, I feel like you and I have kind of riffed off each other a number of times. And all of that started out of just, I felt your pain on a meme that you had kind of made because I've been there because I was wondering about like do I go into the map making world do I make items do I do this do I that I didn't know how kind of how I wanted to break in so I've dabbled with all of it you made a meme about a chimney not like lining up between two floors of a map so I kind of jokingly said well just make the chimney wind all over the house and own it (laughs) and everything from there just shot off like a rocket yeah it was it was a little crazy um but it turned into something really, really fun. So so much fun. So so what was I mean? Did the original map survive, or did that map get trashed? The, the, or was that it? Or was that a map? Or was that just a joke? So so that that original map got trashed, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> where, the, where the chimneys did not line up. Um, but but it gave us good good food for thought for you know how can we use that going forward? Um, right. Because you know, obviously, you know, you play you play D and D. I play D and D. We we you know we're, we're dungeon masters, so to speak. I, I... <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> In which sense of the word? Right. <laughs> How many uh, senses can we fill? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, the the creative thought process you have to use sometimes as a mm-hmm. DM as well. Um, with okay, well that that doesn't wait. The chimney's not straight. Yeah. Hashtag magic. Um. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so if I, it just goes through. There is no chimney anymore. There's just a hole in the second floor. <laughs> there, is, there, is, there is no spoon. There is no yeah, chimney. Yeah, no. So we, we were joking back and forth about like, oh, well, maybe it's just one winding chimney that goes around the house. And I was like, well, maybe there's a bunch of fireplaces. Or, and I, I don't even remember who said what. We just started going back and forth and back and forth until we basically had this really fun idea and i was like i think we can do this i think we can make this an actual thing yeah and and no go ahead that was the organic nature if you will Mm -hmm. of how that came to be was pretty spectacular and phenomenal honestly um and how i 
we both just latched onto that and we were like, right. This is crazy. This is yeah. fun. Our well, players and, will hate us. <laughs> I, exactly. And I think the other thing is, is that like, and there's a lot of senses where hyperbole is just fun. And, and I enjoy taking things to some extreme to try to make them goofy or weird or funny or whatever. But in, in D and D or in a lot of TTRPGs, like there is no limit to how far you can push something. There are realms of gears and clocks. There are planes of pure fire. So like, so the, that hyperbole all of a sudden can be like, yeah, we could, we could just take that hyperbole and make it into a whole thing and just build the whole thing off of it. So. Oh yeah, absolutely. And we wound up at a place where we've got this crazy mansion built by a crazy mage who was dabbling with things that were probably above his pay grade. Um, <laughs> right. But isn't that how every good D and D adventure? Yeah. Starts? Right. <laughs> like it's, a, I, I love it because the more we had talked about it and the more that, you know, you were starting to shoot over ideas for maps and kind of some, some, some concept. And we were still kind of flushing it out as you were working on the maps. There were some last minute changes that I requested that I was like, Oh, if I could get, just this one little change that would be great uh, but i realized that the story that was being told was really flexible in the sense that like neither one of us there's no npc name for the mage there's no it's not a he or a she or them you don't know what race they are or where they're from or even where the house is because the core of the adventure is just the events that are there and the map and I, I kind of, as a DM, so many times when I go looking for inspiration for content, I'll find something that I like, but I almost never use it verbatim because I, I want to make it my own or fit it into my own world and take part of the idea and fit it in. And I think I wanted to provide something that didn't have the big italicized blocks of text that you're supposed to read off when you walk into the room, you know? And, and I think that just our back and forth and the way that it all kind of birthed out it it was something that was like we don't have to answer all the questions we don't have to say who are there what were they dabbling in why did it happen that is all something that that the dm can fit into their game if it fits with this was the the sergeant or the lieutenant of the big bad's army that happened something happened there it could have happened a day ago it could have happened a million years ago who knows Right, exactly. And, and I think that's that's one of the things that I really enjoy about being a DM is that kind of creative license to take those things and fit them into your story. Um, because as you were saying with this particular map and how and how you wrote the adventure, it is vague but the right amount of vague if that makes right. sense. Right. Yeah, I mean I really um, <laughs> I really tried a lot to to make sure that Enough was there that even if you ran it verbatim, as long as the players didn't ask too many questions, and some of those questions you, they may not be able to answer. The Mad Mage may not have a name because nobody knows it. It's not written down anywhere. And that's as much as you get. But if you want them to have a name, give them one. Yeah, absolutely. And I actually I set this up as something that my party is going to be doing in a couple of sessions. Um, and they they don't know the name of the mage. Right. Um, in my particular story, the 
in how I set it up, the house has been vacant for a hundred years. Nice. Um, you know, the, the mage died with no heirs, no family. Right. And it's basically been in the care of the state, a real mm-hmm. estate developer, because what good story doesn't have a real estate tycoon? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if somebody is not trying to drive a construction truck through your neighborhood, then <laughs> what galaxy are we in anyway? Exactly. I mean, it, you know, maybe it's a construction wagon at this point. But yeah. You, you well, know, whatever. You know. It's fine. Tarasks are good for more things than just. <laughs> when you need a level to a town leveled, call Tarask Moving Company. <laughs> when it absolutely positively has to be destroyed overnight. <laughs> right. Call Tarask and Co. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, a real estate developer has basically bought it at auction because it's finally passed around through the various legal arms of the state mm. moving at the the speed at which legal dealings and proceedings the speed of bureaucracy exactly the speed of bureaucracy um (laughs) which is somewhere between a snail and a tortoise Mm -hmm. um that that he was able to buy it at auction it's worth more to him as development land right than standing but because of the cursed nature quote unquote of the property he can't really do anything with it because you know, he's tried to go in. It didn't go terribly well. Right. So he's, you know, been looking for somebody to possibly clear it out, that sort of thing. So hey, the hire the adventurers. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and they went to him because they were wanting to buy property anyway. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Let's make a deal. Exactly. Listen, you, you clear out this house for me. I can get you something on the cheap. <laughs> right. Yeah. I know um, a guy that knows a guy. <laughs> exactly. Isn't that how the, those dealings always mm-hmm. work at the high level? You, you know, you know a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy <laughs> who can plane shift. That's exactly. it's the six steps of Kevin Bacon. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, just because he has a teleportation circle in his basement. Hey, well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so this was kind of uh, a little bit of a unique map for you as well uh it was a uh, as far as kind of what i'd gathered it's a little outside of your norm to include a maze inside the walls of the house itself it, yeah and, and i think that would probably be true for a lot of fantasy cartographers um because you know when we were talking about the concept I, I was not gonna lie i was a little intimidated because i'm sitting there thinking i need to make five foot thick walls that's mm-hmm. one thing Five foot, thick, five foot thick walls. If I could speak, that would be phenomenal. <laughs> it's only a uh, podcast. It's fine. It's fine. We can, we can edit out, edit that out in post. Oh, right? Of course. <laughs> Leave it in. It's funnier. Uh-huh. Um, but that's something you know. I've seen maps that were mazes. I've seen dungeons that were maze-like. Mm-hmm. I don't recall having seen any maps where the walls of the house itself were a maze unto themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, just from a architectural cartography and, you know, mapping standpoint, you know, laying down your walls in such a way that they work architecturally to create these, you know, grand rooms. Cause it's a mansion, you right? Know, mansions have big rooms. Mm-hmm. Just, just think, you know, Palace of Versailles type of thing. Right. Um, but nowhere near that scale. 
but in such a way that they were navigable in a maze-like manner. Um, that that's where the the challenge really kind of came in there. Um, and what made that a lot of fun as well. And said, don't get me wrong, there there were absolutely times where you know I was wanting to throw my laptop across the room, saying, <laughs> "Son of a gun, wrong layer again." Oh, um, that's but that's any map, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, <laughs> I've been I've been through a few of the art. I'm not a great uh, artist. I do mostly like vector art because then you just wiggle nodes. I don't have to actually draw anything, but uh, it's still layers. It's all layers. Yeah, it's all layers. <laughs> and, and everyone who's ever used Photoshop or GIMP or any other program has been on the wrong layer at some mm-hmm. point in time. It, probably multiple times. <laughs> yeah, if not session. if not once then they didn't really play with it for very yeah, exactly long. exactly i mean yeah. when you got 20 30 40 layers going on on some stuff mm-hmm. then um then my, my party ha- has a a game that take a drink every time that eric's on the wrong layer and roll 20 <laughs> <laughs> yep yep i i Just that kidding, one don't, too <laughs> don't play that game you'll die <laughs> no right yeah <laughs> oh. um but no it it was a challenge, but it was a lot of fun too. Um, just you know, thinking of how how would that work? Because you know, you have the old trope in the movies of you know that house with secret passages in the walls, right? Yeah. Um, but thinking about how would that actually work in a usable or at least somewhat usable constructed house of any well and and not just a secret passage or a secret room but the entire structure of the house is like it's the opposite of what you see the real rooms aren't the real rooms it's the secret it's not just one secret room it's secret tunnels it's the whole wall the whole structure of the house is the secret and i think that's I don't know. I haven't seen it done before. I think that was pretty unique. So I, I yeah. think huge kudos on making it work. Thank you. Thank you. And, and said it, it was a lot of fun. Um, I, I definitely enjoyed that aspect of it. Um, and then, you know, thinking also, you know, layers into this of the house since it's a multi-story building. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So you've got these secret passages between all the walls. Where the heck am I going to, put the passage to the second floor. Yeah, the stairs. Where, how do you <laughs> go up to, and down? How do you go up and down if the stairs structurally to the second floor that you would normally use are collapsed and unpassable? Mm-hmm. Um, unless somebody can fly, which... Okay. You're a DM. You can you can nerf <laughs> that somehow. Right. Oh, well, and if you're, if you're flying it, it's written for fourth level... Uh, averaging fourth level. I did leave some openness to run it higher or lower. Mm-hmm. You, if you can get to the second floor, um, of course there's some magical fire on all over the house. So I tried to keep at least ropes, ten foot poles, and ladders and the like out of that right. space. But if you can get to the second floor, um, you still have to get into the second floor wall maze to get through the rest of it. Right. So, which. Because there's no way to get past that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, unless you start breaking down the walls, but you're still going into the maze. Right. You're just doing it the, the hardest way possible. And I, I just want to know what, what, what the DM's going to set as a strength check on that to, to yeah. smash into the walls. 
um, if the players <laughs> figure that out. Uh, or furthermore, how the players are figuring out that the walls are hollow without... If they're, right, if they're not spending <laughs> some time. Yeah. yeah. At that point in time, just figure out that the you can get in through a fireplace. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, kind of building layers upon this. Okay, so then we have to have a way to get from the second floor down to the basement, um, right. which the coal chute was your idea actually mm-hmm. on that. Um, so, so we have the coal chute that goes from the second floor, slides you down to the basement, um, spits you out in the mages lab. Um, so then it's okay. What would that basement look like? Right. Um, you know, is it, is it a normal basement? Well, I feel like, the powers he was playing within the story we're building here, like the lab might look normal, like you might expect right. a mage's lab to look. Um, but once you get outside of that lab, not so much probably. Um, right. So that's where I that's where I went from that to the kind of you know cave like structure of the rest of the basement because realistically if he's trying to channel that sort of power from an extra planar dimension, logically and canonically in D&D even, that's going to create some issues in the material plane itself. Right. Um, yep. so, so, you know, you're going to get some, some weird crystals like I put in there. You're going to get some, some kind of almost molten ground welling up, that sort of thing. Um, and then, you know, obviously you have the, the the final fight with, you know, the mage themselves, which mm-hmm. is a, a, a pretty phenomenal fight with a spectacular homebrew weapon. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, and it, it's funny because so much of this, like we had some ideas, like the original idea as we were going through our hyperbole and the twisting fire chimney that goes just everywhere, like an MC Escher painting was one. And then it was... No, maybe there's, does every room has a fireplace or two? And it's the only thing that contains the fire elemental that's bound there, right? It was kind of the first idea. Well, as some of those ideas and the idea of the ma- the chimney maze and the fireplaces containing something kind of got the maps going, the maps then changed the story. When you presented that basement map, I was like, oh... Initially, I had an idea for many more, like, more on the mimic side and, like, a furnace golem kind of thing and a a bunch of different ideas. And then it was this grand kind of battle arena, but this cavern. And I was like, well, it's half a traditional basement, but it really does. I mean, it looks, you made it look like this extra planar place is starting to take over, is starting to transform the material plane. And the basement is just the start of that and like it's working its way through and so i rethought everything that's kind of where the idea of like the magical fire came from it was also again you have fires all over your map i didn't even think of that and it also gave such a great out to not getting on the second floor like oh there's this slow motion ethereal kind of almost translucent fire that is infinitely burning it's always burning but it's burning in slow motion so it's not overtaking the house or anything but it'll burn anything new that you put into it burns like it's burned my normal fire so ropes will burn grappling hooks won't hook you know things like that and 
and as like just seeing the map, I was like, I instantly knew where you were going and wanted to draw more, like just again, kind of playing off of each other. Like I want to build on what you've presented and lean into that even harder and do the yes. And in, in the same kind of way that you would with kind of a player party mm-hmm. only with like a co DM sort of situation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I think that that kind of, you know, collaborative process there worked well because, because one of the other things when I was kind of building that basement layer, the basement level of the map was I was looking at, it and I was like, you know, just a basement. There's a part of me that wants to make this kind of maze like as well. Um, if we're trying to keep in the fire elemental. Right. Um, there's a part of me that also says, we've already made this poor party go through two right yeah any any more and they're gonna need need a long rest in here and that's just bad (laughs) listen i'm just gonna sack out on this burning bed it's fine Mm -hmm. it'll be good i'll be nice and toasty it'll be warm it's fine it's fine 1d6 fire damage yeah no big deal Well, and and I also so I liked that because I I, got, I riffed off it again and flipped the script and said that the basement, the cavern walls, like because the players don't go there is still in a quote unquote maze, but it's more of a traditional cavern crawl sort of scenario. Right. But I said that the walls were semi translucent, like you could kind of see into them, but not through them, and in the same way that the players have to crawl in and around the chimneys and the maze on the first and second floor. They go over the doors, they go under windows. So they're prone crawling up and down through this maze. When they're in the cavern, they see imps or monsters or extra planar entities crawling through and navigating the cavern walls in the same way that they just were. So kind of this mirror is put up to the party saying, you're not the one trapped in the maze here, but they are. And they're trying to crawl through. The The mage has put in as many protections as he can, and one of them is this kind of maze, and you had to crawl through the maze to get in, while they're trying to crawl through the maze to get out. Right, exactly. And that also, I, I think that really adds another kind of dimension and level to it for, for the party if they're really, you know, getting into character, if they're really immersing themselves in the right. story. Like, if you want to roleplay, you can take that, and the players could sit there for 10 minutes discussing what that could mean. Right. They, they, because that also, that adds another level of danger as well, potentially, for, mm-hmm. for the party and for, you know, the surrounding area, wherever you choose to put this map. You know, if it's, right. you know, in a, a rich neighborhood or wherever it is, just that much extra planar power getting out into the material plane. Mm-hmm would be really really bad news yeah. in most in, in most you know Faeronian areas right, <laughs> you will. Right. um that's that's a recipe for disaster um you know it's the same reason why you know canonically in D that you know summoning extra planar beings is typically frowned upon mm-hmm. um you don't can, need extra planar ally doesn't always mean ally <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly um you can do it but you might not want to do it too often right. <laughs> <laughs> no this is my this is my friend harry He's a he's a fire elemental. Mm-hmm. What? He, he's just he just hangs out, you know. It's fine. 
He occasionally burns down buildings, but you know it's a side effect. He has our back yeah. in battle. Uh, normally, he's a great guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, and uh, you know, some of the other things is like, granted, the adventure teeters probably more realistically on fifth level. Uh, I really tried to push it to require a short rest at least once. Um, because I think that that's something that a lot of parties underutilize. They rely on the long rest too much. Uh, so it is written with at least one short rest in mind. The areas when they're cleared out won't pursue you and won't, there's not tables saying to roll more, at least for fourth level. Um, but the end zone that with this, you know, boss, I really wanted there to be layer actions. I had originally thought about including layer actions from the start like the house itself is fighting the players. Um, but we discussed that at one point. Yeah. Yeah. It's something that lower level parties don't really, you don't see layers until you get to mummies, dragons, liches. Uh, but any monster can have a layer. And especially in situations where there's one monster versus the party, even if it's a couple CR higher, 5e is pretty forgiving and the action economy just wins. And so I wanted to give, without giving legendary actions to the creature, give it something to continue putting out the, like, they're able to build walls anywhere in the same way that the house is a maze, right? So that's part of the theme is wall, the, the once per turn, every other turn, they can spring up a wall anywhere and force the players to take a new route somewhere, right? And just kind of giving those layer actions, making, but I also made it, I, I tried to include a, not necessarily rules, because you don't, of course, you don't have to follow any of it if you don't want to, if you're the DM running it, but some ideas on how the mage would fight, that the mage is not out to kill the party. Uh, they're out to capture the party and lock them in cages and finish this summoning ritual, right? So part of that is to encourage the DM to play a monster differently and to try to use the resources that they have. The ghost can possess an animated armor, and it's an animated armor. It's a CR like one. It has almost no hit points. So the the DM probably doesn't want to use that animated armor as a line of defense, but one bonus that, so it's a, I believe I used a, uh, I didn't use a ghast, but I used a ghost. Mm -hmm. uh, so the ghost has the possession ability, but it only recharges on a six. However, the ghost can recharge it for free if it enters the animated armor and stays in there till the start of its next turn. So the DM can use that and try to actually protect the armor. Dr the ghost leaves the armor, drops it somewhere where the players aren't going to get to it, goes out and tries to fight, do some stuff, runs back to the armor animates the armor to get some extra defense, get its possession ability back, run back out, try to capture another player, put him in a cage. And so I tried to give as many ways that the DM could make a fight interesting without having a high-level monster to do that with. Right. And, and I think that that's a challenge a lot of times So for lower-level parties as well, is being able to throw an interesting opponent at them where you're not running the risk of, risk of a TPK. Right. You're not um, going to TPK them and it's not three goblins. Exactly. Or, or, <laughs> or eight bandits. Or, you right. Know. right. <laughs> um, so, so, and that is absolutely a challenge. So the party that I'm DMing right now, um, three of the four players are fairly green. Um, 
one before this campaign had played like 15 minutes of one session of three and a half E before the campaign fell apart. Right. One had played like half a campaign that was in five E and then switched to three and a half E. That's a, that that's the, it's not that that's a wrong direction to go, but that's a lot harder mm -hmm. than going from three to five. Oh, absolutely. Um, and then the, uh, then the third has played like three sessions in one campaign in 5e and it kind of fell apart because of scheduling conflicts the great bane of all oh, the yeah. campaigns, of all campaigns <laughs> and scheduling <laughs> conflicts um darn you adulthood right. uh, <laughs> um and then she she also played in that same campaign that switched from 5e to three and a half e um and then my fourth player is more experienced than i am even in dnd he's been playing for see he started he's been playing for 27 years roughly Ooh. um yep. like, like he started he started when he was like when he was like 10 years old playing there um, you go so it, it's nice in that campaign setting too you know as i ramble on here um <laughs> to, to have that experienced player there as well to help me out with the, the new yeah. players when they have questions it's um, it, it can be trying sometimes to have an experienced player, but it really depends on the player and mm -hmm. what what their personality is with their experience. Like I, I've had I've been in a campaign where the experienced player was rules as written and the DM was homebrew. And that caused a lot of conflicts. Um, but I've seen it the other way as well, where the yeah. DM is kind of new and wants to be rules as written and a player an experienced player can just help out and say hey this is how this is how you find the rules this is where they're at like reminders everybody even even the most experienced dm is going to forget some of the most basic rules <laughs> oh, yeah, I was, like i made a mistake um four or five sessions ago i think um i'd set up a, an encounter where the party was going up well yeah they wound up fighting her um a, a succubus mm. Um, which are for anyone listening to this, if you've never used a succubus in your campaign or an incubus, they are so much fun to use as a DM. Um, yeah, they've got a lot of good RP power for, really for wreaking havoc on a town mm -hmm. just slowly. And, and that's basically what I had set up for how they came into this. The party was escorting a merchant caravan from one city to another. Um, you know, one of those good low level, get your feet wet, Mm -hmm. D D tasks um to you know kind of grind through a couple of levels while you especially if you've never you know played lower levels before never really right. built a character from the ground up before as most of the people in this party we need to get done. you from town a to town b and do some survival checks fight some wilderness and mm -hmm. and get you there you, you, they, they fought an enormous tentacle at one point in time, which yep. is one of my other personal favorite monsters <laughs> in the monster manual, just because of the description. It can literally yep. reach anywhere inside this room. Um, <laughs> so, so basically the, how this was set up. So in my pseudo homebrew world, right. um, I, I call it pseudo homebrew because I pull heavily on Faerunian lore and that sort of thing in the building of the world, um, the Faerunian pantheon, because the way I view it as well, I've got a whole pantheon sitting there ready to be used in, mm -hmm. in, in OGL content. Right. Why would I not pull on that if I can? Right. 
there's no need to write a dozen of your own gods. Yeah, if exactly. you if you have the time and you can and you want to do it, absolutely. But you don't have to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and I'm, I'm by no means going to tell a DM don't do that or a player don't do. That. Oh yeah, yeah. Or if a player comes to me and said, "Hey, I really kind of want to worship a god of this as a cleric, but it doesn't really exist in the pantheon that I see," I'm like, "Okay, we'll set you up. Cool, we'll, we'll figure something out." My my light cleric um, actually picked on her own that she's a cleric of Apollo. Oh, nice. And I'm like, okay, cool. We'll, we'll cool. roll with that. We'll absolutely roll with that. Um, we'll, we'll work that out. I'll make it work. Um, but anyway, back to my non-meandering point. <laughs> so, so they come across this town. Um, they encounter a succubus at the tavern. The succubus takes um, through through their charm abilities. Um, the the fighter falls and the party falls under the succubus's control. Mm-mm. Um, and a few minutes later, coming through the town is a cleric of Bane, because Bane is set up as a cult of Bane, um, who is. My party doesn't know this yet, so if anyone of my party listens to this oh, no. podcast, don't. Oh no! This. Turn off now. <laughs> Mute. <laughs> um, so the the big bad evil guy or big bad evil girl, actually, right. um, it's a queen of another kingdom, is working with and influencing the cult of Bane for her own ends. Mm-hmm. Um, so cleric of Bane, who was a uh, was actually something I completely homebrewed um, because the only war cleric in the monster manual is like a CR eight, and my party right. is level four. Okay, I don't want to TPK them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we gotta gotta even some things out here, right? So, so, so I homebrewed a, a war cleric. I just basically built a war cleric um, character and limited its spell slots and that sort of stuff, right? So, until I got it to you know an appropriate CR level, um, was coming through the town, and basically, the war cleric and the succubus did not like each other terribly much because the war cleric was coming through daily, demanding that people give offerings to Bane. Mm. The succubus kind of had a mafia protection racket going on in this little town. Ah. Um, where basically the town didn't do anything to harm her or cause her harm, and she wouldn't harm them as long as they didn't do anything to kind of out her presence and she could hunt the surrounding countryside. Well, that's fair. So, you know, it was a mafia protection racket. Yeah. What it was. Absolutely. <laughs> I won't slaughter you all. I won't slaughter <laughs> you all as long as you guys don't, you know, say anything to, you know, the local constabulary about me uh, right <laughs> so she so she took the the fighter present uh t- took control of the fighter um and then the war cleric came through and she basically said to the party listen i'll let the fighter go if the other three of you go out and take care of this cleric for me Ooh. again mafia role Exactly. <laughs> total, total mafia. Got a problem. Um, got a solution. So the party, of course, agreed to get their fighter back. Um, yeah. Because most of the party, except for my, my more experienced player, had no idea what a succubus was or what a succubus could do. <laughs> it could be a greater demon. We don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so I, you know, t- took that moment of kind of teaching, explaining and it, explained it. I said to her cleric, I said, okay, so you would know, because she reverted to her succubus form to get your attention. You would know as a cleric, especially a cleric of 
of the light domain, right? You would know exactly what a succubus is. You would know exactly what a succubus is capable of. Your character would. Um, so this is a succubus. This is what it can do. Right. When she's when she says that if you don't do what she wants, she can kill your fighter. She absolutely does meet it. A level four <laughs> yeah. fighter with a high enough damage roll and the fighter failing could actually be killed outright by a right. succubus. It, it's not, you know, one of those super it's not high probability yeah. things. But it's but also it, not, she's also not lying. She's not lying when she says she could kill him. Yeah. Because she could. Um, so, and, you know, and we kind of explained and we, we spent a few minutes talking, you know, kind of from a meta standpoint. Right. Because this is very much a teaching campaign. Yeah. What that would mean for your character. Well, and it's something that, like you said, as a cleric of the light, she's probably studied plenty of manuscripts on, you know, different demons and devils and imps and the differences between them. And this would be a more common one that she would have probably had on record. Mm -hmm. And it it wouldn't be even remotely surprising, surprising if, you know, your deity, Apollo, basically had a shoot on sight order on on something Mm -hmm. like a succubus. Um, Right. So, you know, it would present, and I, I love presenting parties with moral dilemmas like this. Oh, it's the best. Um, I, I love giving a party a good moral dilemma. Mm-hmm. Um, of, do you try and kill the succubus to, you know, free the fighter from its control? Or do you do what the succubus wants to get the fighter out of her control while also fighting something that your deity would also not like in the clear. Right, vein. right. It's kind of um, a both, <laughs> why not both scenario. It, yeah. Like, <laughs> um, we'll do one, level up, and then do the other. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We've had one level up. What about second level up? That's right. Um, <laughs> so, so we've um, we've talked about you know, some of your ongoing campaign and how this adventure kind of fits in. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked about this map as well, but. Uh, I've heard rumor that this is not maybe your first map. So it is not. <laughs> you, if you want to go into some of uh, what what maps and quests is, what makes you uh, maps and quests, and and how your outreach goes back into the TTRPG community itself. Yeah. So just kind of how I got into map making, I think would probably be a good place to start. Um, yeah. That's kind of where the story starts, if you will. Uh, I'm trying to get too all over the place because I, I said I do have a tendency to ramble. <laughs> so my wife will attest to that as well. So as most many will, mine yeah, would as well. Fair, fair <laughs> <enough>. <laughs> I feel you there. So how how and kind of why I got into the map making end of things was, you know, DMing, running campaign, that sort of thing. I ran into a couple of things. One my party in this campaign especially likes to get really, really tactical with their usage of a map and with mm-hmm. your usage of terrain and be able to, you know, spread out and the rogues are going all over the place. Where's my cover? Woods, where's cover? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, for as green as they are, they get super tactical. <laughs> That's um, it's awesome. A, it's, it's a lot of fun to watch. Um, I think that goes back to a couple of them are... Yeah, three of the four huge Final Fantasy players. So I think that kind of plays into it a little bit there. Um, So they like to get super tactical with the maps. 
Um, so in, you know, trying to find maps that I could use, one of the things that I saw a lot was a lot of the maps that I saw in the market. And I mean, no offense to anyone else who makes maps out there. No, with this statement. Um, a lot of the maps I saw were kind of small, yeah. um, you know, sized for, you know, like a 15 by 20 or a 20 by 20 grid. Right. Um, realistically, when you're talking about five foot squares, that's a hundred feet by a hundred feet. Right. On the map. Um, a tabaxi road can cover most of that in one turn. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, they, they can cover 90 feet in a turn. What's yeah. Like, that, okay. There's the bad guy. I run up and I stab him. Sneak attack. Boom. Done. Yay. Roll these sixes. Game over. Yay. <laughs> Double up. <laughs> so, so part of that was, you know, came from that of wanting to make maps where my players could be more tactical with how mm -hmm. they were thinking, because they were really getting that real kind of tactical, um, almost, you know, 4E mindset of, right. of, you know, wanting to, you know, a, a, a maps and minis kind of mindset. And, I, and I'm not saying that that's, that's the right way to play the game or you have to use a map to play the game um, by any means. Cause I, I know some people who are brilliant with theater of mind, but I just know how my party likes to play. Having that map there as a visual aid is really, really, really helpful. I'm, I find myself in that space cause I, I'm great at theater of the mind. I can visualize with the best of them. I love it, but I, I find myself in any situation where there's more than one to two monsters it's just a lot to manage if there's four players and six goblins you run in the situation of okay how far am i from goblin a okay you're this far okay well how am i from b you're this far okay but now how far is a from b because i need to know this area of effect spell and i want to make sure that i hit as many of them as i can without hitting my party and then in six seconds everyone moves it's that's a, like I'm great at theater of the mind, but I can't play like the mental chess or verbal chess where you give call outs to all the pieces. I cannot keep that in my head. And so I have to have a board. I have to see a map. So I'm, I'm right there. Yeah. So, 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 so we're on the same wavelength there. Um, mm -hmm. so that was the first thing was, you know, I saw a lot of maps out there that were smaller. And once again, I, I mean, if any other fantasy cartographers are listening to this, I don't mean any offense to you with that statement. I'm no, just saying no. the way my I mean, party plays, it's helpful to have a bigger map. Yeah, I've um, taken small maps and integrated them into larger maps, but then you have the deal where like the grass is a different tile set. And yeah. you can get over it, but it's nice if it all looks the same. Right. So 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 you know, I, I have maps on my Patreon that are a hundred by a hundred maps. Nice. Um, and part of the reason why is another reason why I started making those once again, from the tactical aspect, like I look at it and I say, let's say that you have a cleric, like my cleric did. I'm kind of going back to my party who takes the spell sniper feet mm -hmm. and wants to light something up with scorching ray from as far away as is physically possible <laughs> or, or guiding bolt. Right. You know, they want to light something up. Guess what? Spell sniper. You can hit something at 240 feet away. Yeah. You need, you need a fairly large map to do that. Um, you, right. need a, you need, a, you know, you need roughly 50 grid spaces to do that. It, you know, it's actually like 48, but yeah, still close enough. The, the, the 50 helps because then you're not, you know, having one person stand on one side of the map and the right. other, on the, the other, other side of the exactly. map to make you get that a little happen. border around it. It's right. Nice. <laughs> um, so, so that's part of it as well. And then, you know, you look at things like, you know, 
rangers, or maybe you have a fighter who it, took the the archery um, fighting type. Where once again, if you're talking about a map that's you know fifteen by fifteen, twenty by twenty, you've made that fighting style kind of useless at that point in time right. for that character. Um, and really, part of our job as dungeon masters is to make our players' characters feel like their heroes. Right. Giving um, them their power curve. Right. Letting, letting them feel like they have these awesome abilities and powers. Because if, you know, if, if I'm a ranger, um, and I, I go back to ranger because ranger has been my favorite class since three and a half E. Nice. Um, nice. Well, that's that question answered. <laughs> Gee. <No. laughs> um, so, you know, if I go back to that, once again, if you're going to make a ranger stand, 30 to 50 feet away from whatever it's fighting and they're you know they've taken that archery fighting style where they get a plus two to hit on on ranged weapons which a plus two is nothing to laugh at in 5e right that's, no plus in 5e that's incredible a plus yeah. two is huge in 5e um what's the what's the point in even having that fighting style for someone right. to take what's what's the point of having you know the arcane archer archetype in in the fighter class at yeah. that point if all you're doing is catacombs with you know 15 foot stretches of straight line runs then yeah yeah it can it can it, it, you get to take a couple pot shots but you don't get any of those epic long range snipes from cover where the entire encounter is over before it begins exactly and, and that's not to say that, that I think that every encounter should be that way. Um, because right now I have my party working their way through a, a cave map that I made myself that they are cursing my name for making. Well, um, and you <laughs> just made a map where you're going to put the whole party in five foot wide, crawling, prone mm-hmm. fireplace chimneys. So. Yep, yep. <laughs> so, 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 so what you're going to want for that is you're going to want. Because my party has two rogues. Balancing combat with two rogues at low levels. Is oh my a god! That, that, I'm is sure it's only nightmare. gonna get worse because you're um, gonna do. They're, you're gonna have two double DPS sneak attacks with with the evasion V and just yeah, it's, yeah, it's <laughs> taking no damage and sniping things just instantly. Yeah, so, so uh, it's it's a nightmare. Um, you have yeah, to have I, a lot I, of blind sense, you know. Mm-hmm, but, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I actually said that to the party at one point. I said, you know, because the problem with balancing combat right now is, and this was when they were at like level three, right? And like, based on how high rogues can roll for stealth at that level, mm-hmm. there's not much that I can throw at you guys that's going to pick them up with perception, right? That's not going to kill the entire party in one round. Yeah, it is. It can be really, and you don't want to. There's, there are some places where I'm all about fudging rolls or fudging stats of monsters, but it's also not fair to just completely counter your party either, because exactly. that's not fun. Ex- exactly, and, and I've never liked that DM style, right? Of you know, DM versus the party type yeah, of thing. No, um, I can't it's, stand it's, it. It's, it's there are people who like that style. Great, fantastic, have fun. Mm-hmm. If that's what it is on the onset, if you know yeah. that the DM is going to punish any mistake you make and is going to try to counter everything that you... So don't tell the DM what you're building. When you pick your level, you pick it in secret and write it all down on in pen. And then when you pull it out and the DM is surprised, that's your gotcha. 
but that's exactly. all you get. Yep. But if that if that's up front, fine. But if it's not up front, it's not fun. Yeah, exactly. At least to me. I yeah. And I think there's been a big shift towards that. I think mm-hmm. a lot of three five D and D was that. Oh yeah. And I think a lot of five E is the pendulum swinging the other way. Yeah, swinging back the other way. So, so you know, with the map making and kind of why that's one of the reasons I started making the maps was you know, seeing maps that were just for said how my party likes to play too small and and I thought to myself, there have got to be other people out there who have this same problem. It can't be just me. My party's not that unique. There's no way right. it's that unique. Um, maybe it is, it's possible. I don't know, but I doubt it's that, that unique of a situation. Um, and then there was also my party, a couple of my party, my party members said, you know, you could, these are actually pretty decent. You could probably sell these. And I was like, you guys are all crazy. Making it safe. Um, (laughs) (laughs) right. (laughs) Roll, roll, roll bluff. (laughs) So, so there is that. And then the other thing that I saw and still see um, and once again, I mean, no offense to any of the other, you know, fantasy cartographers out there with this statement. I see a lot of maps that are absolutely gorgeous works of art, beautiful pieces of art. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, because of a lot of the details in them, they become harder to use in most campaigns. Yeah. Um, so, like, just as an example, I saw a map the other day. Once again, if the person who made this map is listening to this podcast, I mean, no offense to you in any way, shape, form, or fashion, because this map, it was an absolutely gorgeous map. It was stunning. Um, of Notre Dame flying over the city of Paris. Oh, wow. Gorgeous map. Beautiful work. I, but... <laughs> I wouldn't be able to use that in my campaign. Yeah. There, I have seen maps that have had too much detail mm-hmm. where, and either if I'm using things like a line of sight blockers and like a roll 20 or something like that, it either the players just aren't going to see the amazing skull with lava flowing out of its eyes in the background, or there's so much, the map is so busy that my tokens and the things that I need to add to the map chests or locations or notes or whatever can easily get lost. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, so that was one of the other things that I saw was maps that were too detailed or too specific. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, there's a map I used early on um, when I was kind of just, when I was figuring out the map making end of things, starting to make my own. Um, in this particular campaign where there was a a body wrapped in a spider's web in a corner Mm -hmm. on the map. And my players said, Oh, well, what's that? I mean, ignore the body in the corner. The body in the corner (laughs) does not actually exist. It's not there. (laughs) Let let me just use fog of war on roll Uh 20 to block that out. It's not there. Scribble over that. (laughs) Yep. Um, And I I do think that's something you you run into, especially with, you know, players who are paying attention to what's going on the map too, is that if you have a map with too much detail, that you get those questions of what's that? What's that? Why is that chest there? I want to loot that chest. That that chest isn't there. It's a mimic. <laughs> yeah, it's a mimic. It tries to eat you. 
It barks. <laughs> no, I, I agree. And I think for me in map making another kind of issue, which I mean, it seems like the, your foundation is your players needed maps. And I think that's a lot of the reason why I started getting into doing, you know, when I, when I was doing map maybe making stuff, I haven't published any of them yet, but the background for the Dungeons and Ditters logo is a map of a tavern that I made. And it was because I wanted to be able to use the same elements in multiple maps because I wanted the theme to match. I didn't want one map to be one thing and another map to be another. And it's outside of an adventure module, it's really hard to do that because every campaign's different. Every person's map needs are different. Um, and you can get tile packs from people and build. I did a lot of that in Roll20, which is great. Uh, I support many of the artists that have offered up token and tile packs on Roll20. Um, when I was using Roll20, I don't use them anymore. But it, it's even that is hard. And I'm not a Photoshop person. I have a little bit of GIMP and Inkscape skills, but it I would much rather have and support somebody that I can get maps that are going to be something that I can use in more than one circumstance where either I can block off a smaller portion. It's always, if I, the map is too big, I can use just part of it uh, or I can cut it into two or three pieces and put them back together or something. And if, if a map is too small, it's hard to then build it in that person's style to make it bigger. But if it's too big, I can cut out the pieces that I need. I can use just what I want and, and kind of go from there. So I respect and appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you respecting. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> well, I appreciate <laughs> No um, good, sir. After you. <laughs> oh, of course. Of course. Um, so, like, you, you said that you were a little bit kind of taken aback by your players saying, hey, you should sell this. Do you, your maps look really good, I, I'll admit. Thank you. Do you have a history in art or do you build them in Photoshop or, or do you have any of your process that you could divulge to us? Yeah. So, so actually I have a smidgen of background in graphic design work and web design, <laughs> smidgen, um, small smidgen. Um, enough to be dangerous. Exactly. I, and I, make D&D maps. Exactly. I know enough <laughs> to be dangerous and to make a decent map. That That's Good. what I got. Um, but Hey, it seems to be enough. <laughs> so, I start my maps in a program called Dungeon Draft, um, which I like because of its usability. For a lot of the final production of things, layering of things, some lighting effects, shadows, um, rooftops, all that fun jazz, there, there I move into to Photoshop or GIMP, it depends, because um, I have some brushes in GIMP that I like far better than anything that's yeah, in Photoshop. I get that. Um, so I got a lot of my weather effects because I do weather effects overlays as well. Um, that, that's a whole other ball of wax with people putting weather on maps where I'm like, oh, right. I love this map, but it's raining. Cover it there. in fog. <laughs> <laughs> like, I love this map that you've made, but it's raining on the map. And yeah, I don't right. need, and it, I to need it to be rain. sunny. I need it to yeah. be sunny. I need um, the daytime version or the nighttime version. Right. Or... Um, but I don't need the raining version. <laughs> right. Um so that's a whole other thing that I started doing once again for that reason, once again, to kind of fill a need that I had was, okay, so let's say that maybe I want the players to be staying at this tavern overnight, and when they get up the next morning, it's raining. Right. 
so I should be able to flip the map layer over yeah. and yeah. So, so I actually started making uh, in in GIMP once again because I have a lot of brushes in GIMP that I like a lot more than anything I have in Photoshop for for kind of doing the weather effects. Um, I started doing opaque PNG overlays that okay. I can just drop right on there and boom, mm-hmm. now it's raining the next day. That's so awesome. Could, That's really um, cool. So, so you're using like a transparency in. Yeah, that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. So that's that's kind of where that the that end of things came from. So is it I start usually in dungeon draft and then for kind of some of the after effects, shadows, that sort of thing, that then I move into, you know, Photoshop or GIMP depending on which brush sets I like better. Um, because despite GIMP saying it works with Photoshop brushes, I've definitely found Photoshop brush packs that GIMP does not work with. <laughs> right. Well, there's always going to be some of that. Yeah, or, or so, vice versa. Yeah, exactly. So you you started getting in and and making more overlays, getting kind of pushback from kind of sounds like your direct friends and in, in your gaming circle saying, "Hey, you should you should take the plunge. You should put these yeah, out there." You, you should basically saying you you should you should uh, you should try and monetize this. You should you know be a true capitalist. <laughs> right. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> I would love to get there <laughs> someday. Uh, so then so, that, that's kind of where, where it kind of started. And, you know, and then I looked at when they, when they were telling me this, I really started to look at a lot of the other maps out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, you know, while my maps aren't as, you know, pretty from an artistic standpoint, if you will, as, you know, some of the other bigger names out there um, who I, I won't name because I don't want any of us to get sued. Um, no, no, no. <laughs> Um, I've, I, I mean, I follow some amazing map creators. I, I love even I won't use most of the maps that I see and follow, but I add them all to a folder of mm-hmm. like ideas. Oh, <laughs> there's, an, I, I, there's an ideas folder that's oh. probably worth its own hard drive in weight of maps. But. Oh, yeah. I, I, I have a an, an idea, similar folder ideas or maps where if my party decides to go completely off the rails and I don't have a map made for this particular scenario, mm-hmm. then I probably have one in there because, you know, we're not streaming or anything like that. Right. Um, so, so, you know, we don't have to re- really worry about that end of things. Um, so, yeah, I started looking at some of them and I said, okay, well, I'm not as good as some of these other guys or girls. Um, but then, you know, I saw some of the others and I just said, okay, you know, maybe, maybe my players are right. But maybe I'm, maybe I'm a little bit better, at least in some ways. In this some one ways, you know, one. I've, I've yeah. got some things going for me that I'm doing differently. I'm kind of put me in a, in a, in a niche there. And, and I also, you know, I understand, you know, having, you know, some Photoshop and, you know, GIMP photo editing background there. Why a lot of kind of the more artistic map makers, if you will, the ones who make those gorgeous pieces like we were discussing, why they don't necessarily make the the bigger maps exclusively oh, yeah. in Photoshop. Because I can, t- I can tell you right now, a 100 by 100 grid map at 70 PPI mm-hmm. That's in huge. Photoshop is going to be an absolutely massive file. Yeah. Um, just to work with, um, it would probably wind up using, depending on how many layers you had going and all that other fun stuff, that file in, you know, a Photoshop type program or GIMP would probably wind up using eight gigs of Ram by itself, just having to editing it. Um, yeah. So I understand why as well. 
um, why you don't see well and it's also that's also if you're able to put that much time and effort into making a 20 by 20 look gorgeous a hundred by hundred is probably there's probably a return on investment for oh, making yeah, absolutely. it that, and, and absolutely if you're already established people are going to have the expectation that it looks just as good while mm-hmm. also being five times bigger um yeah right, so that's exactly. all, so it probably is not going to net them a huge gain <laughs> off of that right exactly so there's a, and i i mean no offense or any sort of no, no, I think I, I think that it them. is. And, um, and I don't mean that either. I think that it, it probably is. Yeah, it's a combination of factors are obviously so and that that's kind of where I got into the map making end of things. And it's only been, you know, a couple of months that I've been you know kind of doing it, quote unquote, professionally. I mean, I'm, I've gotten some money from drive through RPG and from Roll20. So I, I guess, well, not Roll20, um, Patreon. I'm working on getting into the Roll20 marketplace. Um, so I guess I can't say I do it professionally now since I've been paid money for it. Hey, <laughs> right. If you've been paid once, that's all it takes. So, so, so yeah, that's kind of how I got into it and why I got into it was it, it was a process over the course of a couple of months of, you know, really looking at it and saying, okay, is this something that I think I could sell? Is this something that, you know, is worth trying to sell beyond what I'm just making for the party? And that's also where almost every map that's on my Patreon is a map that my party has either used one of the variants of or likely will be using a variant of that. Map. So they've all been and essentially play tested. Yeah, they've all they've all been play tested. Like <laughs> in some. I mean, way, that's good. There's a lot of there's a lot of that too. Like, I mean, a lot of people don't think about it, but there are ideas that can come back from running through a map and say, "Well, it would be better if there was some cover here, or there's too much cover, or mm-hmm. you know, things just when you when it's in your head and when it's on paper and you're looking at it, it's a great idea, and then when somebody runs it, it's a totally different ball of wax is a whole different scenario where all of a sudden you see things that you could have done differently or changes you want to make and or new, totally new ideas for a new map. Yeah. Or like, so on some of my forest maps where my tabaxi rogues go to move is climb up tree, jump from tree to tree, like Tarzan, which is not <laughs> something that I anticipated. Um, I personally like it when he's, when he's trying to do it while stealth and I'm like, okay, make me, make me an acrobatics check and a stealth check on each of these trees you're jumping between. Um, (laughs) Right. (laughs) And the first time I made him do it, one of my newer players was like, what? I said, the reason I'm making him do both once again, teaching campaign, because he's trying to jump from tree to tree in a stealthy manner. Yeah. Quietly. (laughs) Without rustling a bunch of leaves. So it's not just that the, you know, the acrobatics check or athletics check, whichever, you know, you want to use depending on your party to jump from tree to tree and grab on on the other side, because it's not just jumping the distance. It's you have to jump. You have to cover the distance from one tree to the other. You have to grab the tree on the other side. And then you're trying to do that while nobody notices you doing it Mm -hmm. um either by timing your jump or by like keeping it a softer jump so you have to like really understand your own musculature kind of thing like right so so that's one of the things i found with some of my forest maps is if i make them the trees too dense sometimes then it's just way too easy for him to do it which means that it'll probably be way too easy for other players to do it Mm -hmm. yeah Um, it's true because you know, while, while we don't want to, you know, be DM against the party, as we discussed prior, we also 
want to challenge our players a little bit too, so that you know they're not being spoon fed everything. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it's again, I think it's just it's back to that playtesting of being able to get the feel of things like tree spacing. How many? Tr- how dense is too dense? How sparse is too sparse? And and where can you put things in a in a I don't want to say optimal manner, but just getting that idea for maybe in some places you have that densely packed area. Again, a hundred by hundred map allows you, it seems like to me, the opportunity to have a clump of trees that are really dense and then spread out and get thinner so that maybe they can do that acrobatic thing, but it gets harder and harder to do or eventually becomes almost impossible to do and forces them into a new tactical situation without flipping to a new map. Right, exactly. That's right. You know, I, I like to do those things with the terrain where, you know, I'll have a cliff face in the forest type of thing, or I'll have a, oh, these trees happen to be 20 feet apart now. Are you making that <laughs> jump? No. You're you going to try to? You can try. You, <laughs> you can get can the running jump try. off of a branch. <laughs> you can always try. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you you can't try. I'm going to tell you it's going to be a high DC roll, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I kind of want to know, like, we've got your, your kind of intro to map making, but what's your what's your history with D&E? Where, where do you start in your journey to even get a chance to become a map maker? Where do you start playing role-playing games? So that starts way, way, way back in high school. Um, many, many, many moons ago, if you will. In the um, old days when dinosaurs were on the earth? Yeah, there were dinosaurs walking around. I'm I right there wrote, with you. I, I rode a brontosaurus to school every day. It was, it, you know, it was <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I was a stega, but, you know. Yeah, you, know, you, know you know, regional variances, if you will. Of course, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, with, uh, with AD&D 2E that uh, a friend had from his dad, where I started, um, and, you know, from there moved on to three and a half E dabbled in 4e didn't play a lot of 4e obviously 5e now in between there there was some pathfinder there were some calls thulu nice other things but but dnd kind of always be, seems to be the home that i come back to if you will um you know kind of advancing along the way and yeah playing different systems for for me it's the home i come back to that doesn't mean that other systems aren't any good or anything it's just it's it's my comfort zone probably because it's you know where i started and the system i have the most experience with um that that... no i agree i i end up feeling that it a new system is hard because everyone has to learn it right and if 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 at least some people know D &D, then it it makes it that much easier because you can lean on other players or your dm or whomever is there with you or just your friends it's so ubiquitous that it, it, it thank God that it is now that ubiquitous that you can lean on friends that aren't in your game to to add, talk about rules or just be excited in general where the other person will at least have a frame of reference of what you're talking about as I can talk about character ideas or big bad evil guys or new maps or adventures with my friends and I'm not running a game for them I'm not in a game with them but they can be they can follow along in a way that while, you know, some of my other friends can be excited and happy that I'm I'm having these experiences, they don't know as many of the finer details that some of my other friends would be like, oh, did you take this feat? Which, what's your character path going to be? Are you going to go for this magic item? What are you going to try to do? Like, 
getting that type of conversation makes D&D that much easier to be a part of. Right, exactly. And, and I think a lot of that kind of explosion in popularity um, in D&D that we've seen over the last not quite a decade um, came from... Yeah, close to. Roughly, give or take. Time flies. It's fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, came from, you know, the simplification of the rule set with 5 mm-hmm. Um which there there are parts of, you know, like three and a half E that I miss a little bit, um, certain things. I, but, I miss things. Appraisal checks were important. Um, but I'm also glad that spot checks every five feet don't happen. Right, exactly. You so, know, the, give and take. Cons, pros and yeah. cons. Like, the, the use rope skill, that needed to be its own skill, really. <laughs> right. Like, 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 I understand, right. you know, a, you know, I, I was in Boy Scouts as a child and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand some knots are very complicated to tie. Yeah, they are. But do you really need that to be a separate skill in the game? Well, and are you always going to be using, how often is this ultra rare complex knot coming up in your campaign? Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Listen, but if you can't, if you can't tie a square knot, you're out of my campaign. I'm yeah, sorry. no, you're done. You're done. You're done. <laughs> No, I get it. Well, and I think for me, I think the biggest thing was like three, five leaned into the player versus DM mentality with the number of books there were. I had friends that would literally bring two duffel bags, each weighing like 60 pounds to a game session. Oh, yeah. And and know the page numbers of every rule in all of those books. And I it, it gives so much power to the player which isn't always a bad thing, but to the point where it's impossible for the DM to know what their players can do. And they're like, well, I cross-classed here and picked up this feat from this book and then did this and this prestige class and and this item. And so many layers where the player started running the campaign. And it's oh, like, yeah. cool, if you want to be the one writing the rules, you can DM. Otherwise, let's try to limit the number of books we're using and talk about your character in advance, because I'm not trying to kill you in the sense of that's how I win. I just want to tell a fun story. Exactly. And I, I, do, I do agree with you that part of that three and a half was very much, you know, having played during that era, if you will. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of that DM versus player thing, and a lot of it came from things like what you were describing there. Um, like, just as an example. In three and a half E through metamagic feat stacking, I could build a sorcerer who at level 11 could throw Scorching Ray out there through metamagic feat stacking for 48 D6 damage once per day. Oof. Yeah. And that's, and that's, that's probably honestly tame in like meta building, like min max mm-hmm. building. It, three, five was all about min maxing. Oh yeah. And, I was, I mean, I was a little taken aback when 5e came out. I was like, this is the way we're going. But after I played it, I was, I really appreciated it. I was like, okay, yeah. I think this is, this is agreeable because at least half the session was role play, whether we meant to or not. Yeah. And that's it, really what I personally, that's what I was all about. I love combat. I love exploration, but I really like to get into character too. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's. It, you know, going back to that, that, that sorcerer example, because that's kind of my prime example. 
of you know why it became that whole dm versus character dm versus players player character thing you know when at a mid-level a low mid-level realistically in three and a half e because you could go beyond level 20 in three and a half e um you have the potential to one hit knockout 90 percent of the monster manual if you roll max damage and then you've got to get into epic level handbook and CR 35 plus. Yeah. You know, that's one of those things where at that point in time, it it becomes not as much fun anymore for anyone involved. Well, and it shouldn't be a God killer campaign at level 12. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> exactly. You know, that's like, like if, you, if you roll max damage on 48 D six, I really don't want to do the math on that no. right now, but I know I've done the math on it before. And it's something like close to 90% of the monster manual or monsters that exist in three and a half even based on you know, a spreadsheet right. on my computer. Cause I love spreadsheets. Um, <laughs> <laughs> DMS that, that love spreadsheets. No what? madness lies, lies and madness. Um, that, you know, when you can do that at a very low mid level, that that's, you know, it becomes for me at least a lot less fun from a, you know, challenge standpoint as well um, as a DM and a player. Cause it's like, how you know, as a player, okay, where's the challenge for me at that point in time? When I know that unless the DM starts majorly boosting up the HP of every monster that we can deal with it in one round, where's the challenge for me as the DM when I'm having to throw demigods at level 12 parties to mm-hmm. challenge them type of thing? Um, so you've mentioned kind of being on both ends of the spectrum. Of course, right now you're running a party through a campaign mm-hmm. that you are making the maps for that you're putting up on Patreon. Um, do you have a preference? Do you see yourself as a forever DM now, or do you do it just because that's who's available to do it that you, cause you'd love to do it? Or do you find yourself in a healthy balance scenario where you get to DM some play some, you know, talk about your feelings in that kind of zone? So I, I, I actually, I prefer DMing. Um, I, okay. I'm that, that weird person who prefers DMing, who goes against the whole forever DM trope. It's like, Cool. Right. I'm a DM forever. Fantastic. I get to tell stories forever. <laughs> Have you heard me on this podcast? I enjoy talking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I enjoy DMing. Um, I enjoy being a player as well. Um, I'm actually, I'm playing in a campaign right now with um, a, a friend of mine who's, you know, getting into being a DM um, who kind of assembled a group of more seasoned players for her to run a campaign <laughs> with. Um, so where I'm playing the super trope Goliath barbarian, because the rest of the party wanted to be casters. Right. Um, and so I said, okay, we got a DM who's DM'd like a third of a campaign before, before it fell apart because of stuff with the party itself, not because of her, but because of weird social dynamics with the party itself uh, the second hurdle that you have to overcome in any D &D campaign exactly exactly then i said okay i don't want to make her life that much more difficult by having to try and balance encounters for a party full of casters as well party full of squishy casters yeah Um, so i chose to play the super tank Goliath taking the tough feet at level four. So I have more HP than the rest of the party, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and our, our basic or our basic combat strategy is Goliath barbarian charges in swinging great axe. 
Celestial Patron Warlock spams Goliath Barbarian with heals. Bard spams Goliath Barbarian with Bardic <laughs> Inspiration. Wizard throws Firebolt. <laughs> that, that's that's our go. basic order hey. of operation in combat. Um, and it's effective. So and the other reason I didn't want to do that to the DM um, was because we're running the Tyranny, Tyranny of Dragons modules. So, ah. so that's, you know, your combats are kind of laid out for you already there um in in those kind of official modules so with those i didn't want to make her life super duper difficult as a fairly new dm of you know having to you know figure out okay well i've got all these casters how do i make this combat work with langadrosh and sanrath you know what it's an earlier combat in the in the modules who is very much a melee combatant where I'm not killing the level. Yeah, where you just don't run yet. in and slaughter the whole party. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. So, so I said, you know, what, I'm going to do this, and I've, I've already told the rest of the party, if the if somehow my Goliath barbarian dies with you know stones endurance and all that other fun jazz that you can do there. I'm coming back as a caster, and I can guarantee you, if he <laughs> dies, someone else in the party is probably dying in that combat as well. Probably, and one of yeah. you is coming back as a tank. <laughs> one of you gets to fill a tank roll at that mm-hmm. point in time. <laughs> yeah, somebody, we all just get a swap. Just rotate character okay. sheets to your left, and we'll go from there. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so, so I enjoy being a player. Like a card I game. enjoy being a DM more. Um, just because it's a... I enjoy the storytelling aspect. I enjoy the I enjoy the world building aspect. I enjoy the collaborative storytelling aspect as well. And I do also enjoy a little bit, you know, the chess match, if you will, but uh, of you know, not necessarily DM versus player, but the chess match of making things that will challenge my players. So that Yeah, there's a huge difference a in that. In yeah, in making sure that you want to you want to challenge your players. That's exactly it. You want it to be a challenge where they maybe the threat of a TPK is on the table, but if it happens, it's their fault. Like if if a TPK occurs, it's not because a dragon eats them at first level. It's because right. they thought they had every opportunity and every townsperson told them not to fight the dragon and it's supposed to be like a social encounter. And they think at first level they're killing a dragon. Now, of course, super green players, they right. may not know any better, but an experienced player should know. <laughs> but no, yeah, no, I, so, I, so I, I can't agree. So, so we've got yeah. some. Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to an example of that from my campaign where my party killed a couple of like green dragon wormlings. Um, you know, they're low CR. The, the love of my party's out right now. They can handle a couple of those. Um, and decided that they were going to, you know, chop up the dragons for, you know, parts to try and sell to somebody for, you know, potion components or study or research or whatever, try and make a little extra cash, you know, capitalism. (laughs) 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 So, so the only person that they were, that they could find to sell them to was an archmage who is, they're going to find out later on is in league with the big bad evil girl, um, in this case. Um, they don't know that yet, but 
realistically, if I were an evil DM, it probably would have been a TPK when they went and met, met with the Archmage, just because of socially how confrontational <laughs> they decided to be with the Archmage. Because an Archmage, in my mind at least, is going to be kind of a arrogant individual. Right. And they're, they're very accustomed to being literally the smartest person in the room. Or possibly even the smartest person in that kingdom. Um, right. <laughs> and it's also a CR12. Uh, yeah, my, party was a, my party was level four. Yeah. Um, and just how they handled that particular social encounter being very confrontational. So at one point um, in, in the encounter, I had the Archmage just cast Banishment on one of the rogues who was being especially confrontational. <laughs> just to kind of get the point across. You go. It, you go away now. <laughs> um, where, it's the, where my my cleric who's in your player is like, wait, what spell was that? I was like, that's banishment. You, <laughs> you're not going to be able to cast that spell for a couple of levels. Still. Yeah, it's going to be a bit. It's going to be a bit before you get get access to that spell. Um, so meta knowledge. I'm once again explain is it once again your characters would know what an archmage is. Right. You yeah. would know. You've seen even if you like. Maybe you don't know the spell, but the amount of runes and the speed that they just drew them in the air and the language that they used, you understand some of it and know that other bits of it are, are above you. Yeah. That it's a very <laughs> complex and high-level, high-ranking spell. Right, and, and just the fact that you were told to go talk to the Archmage. Your character would know what an Archmage is. Your character would know that an right. Archmage is generally the highest-ranking spellcaster wherever they are right um in their region it, right you know be, be it at the mage college or at the castle wherever um that archmages aren't common because they're the equivalent of roughly a level 17 or 18 wizard or sorcerer so that so, so yeah that, that's so well, how that happened <laughs> <laughs> we've we've kind of run through um your history in D D, uh tons of your party's adventures um i i definitely am your your history with map making i'm super happy that we got to meet and and kind of have these conversations have this adventure that i'm i it's so interesting because we're recording this just before releasing it and so we don't have the reactions of the community yet. That may be a good thing. I don't know. <laughs> See, they're going to go really, really well or really, really poorly. Yeah, it could go, <laughs> it could go terribly. Um, but hopefully it doesn't. I think, you know, we both put a lot of love into this and it is for free. So if it does go terribly, uh, fine. Um, it's just, you know, several weeks worth of effort. It's not no skin off our backs, you know, but um um, I do want to kind of give you the, the floor and the opportunity, anything that you want to shout out, anything that you want to talk about, um, and then we'll move into kind of the final question of the show. Yeah, absolutely. So, so actually, if I can ask you, cause you're, you're dungeons and dinners, um, I'm going to give you the opportunity to talk about yourself here a little bit too. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm flipping the table on you. Here. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I mean, I get to talk, I've got a whole podcast to do that with. <laughs> So, so, so flipping the table on you here, since since I consider myself somewhat of a foodie, um, not you know I'm not you know a gourmet chef or anything, okay. but I'm all right, I'm okay, you know I make my own hot sauce type of deal. Um, so, so I'm gonna flip hey, the table. I want to ask I want to ask you a question. 
um, since since you are you know you're, you're very much centered around the you know the gourmet aspect of things with, with the podcast of what is your favorite food? Oh man, see, this is that was gonna be the question of the show, and like and now I get it <laughs> asked to me. Um, it's a real. I go in phases, okay. so I personally get locked into a thing, and it'll be my ride or die food, and then eventually I will burn out on it and almost never eat it again. Um, honestly, like. It, it depends on the scenario. So are we talking about my favorite food for me to consume in bachelor time in like a restaurant experience or like my favorite thing to cook for somebody else? Because those are three different answers. Ooh, that's a that is a valid point. Um, it's almost like this is what it's me by myself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. If it's me by myself, I am not I'm not spending I'm not dirty, dirtying 20 dishes and spending an hour cooking. <laughs> I've Fair got things enough. to do. <laughs> so, so, so let's say you're going out to eat at a restaurant. Okay. Uh, going out to eat, typically, uh, if, it's, if it's like a prime choice, I think it's going to be either a really good Italian restaurant. Um, I, I really love a restaurant that can do a unique take on like an alfredo or a white sauce um and so do do that to a really high degree i think is is really impressive just i love getting to taste new cheeses and i think that while like a spread of cheeses on a plate with like uh like some meats and cheeses and crackers is really cool if you can do something above and beyond that above and beyond just giving me a slice of goat cheese if you can do a goat cheese Alfredo. Um, I think that would, you know, something along those lines of just a kind of a unique take on an, an Italian kind of recipe. I'm really a fan of, or kind of sometimes I can, I can really get down on just a properly cooked steak. Um, maybe on something like a, a bed of fried spinach or something. Like I know both of these are kind of fancy or high end, but I, we don't go out to eat very often to like high end restaurants. So when we do, we try to splurge and we'll try to kind of save up for it and go, go gangbusters on some re something really high and unique, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a rare or um, a taste that I've never had before it can, I'm just as happy to go out and just, I, I surprisingly, I don't grill. Uh, the wife is the amazing grill chef in, in our little family here. And so I, I send steaks to her. Uh, I will season them. I'll make rubs. I'll make sauces. I'll do, but like temping a steak, I've never been good at uh, without a thermometer or like cutting it open. <laughs> and so, so going somewhere else where we can both get a steak that neither of us cooked is something that I can, you know, I can really get down on. Okay, good, good. I, I, I like a good Italian dish as well. I also, you know, living in the, the northeastern U.S. as I do, we, we, have, we have a heavy Italian influence on our food. Um, mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> so I, I did, I did want to ask you that question. That, that, that was no, kind of my no, burning question awesome. I wanted to ask you. Um, yeah. Since, you know, once again, you're doing the whole, you know, the, the more gourmet thing along with Dungeons and Dragons. 
So, you know, other stuff that I want to talk about, I and mean, we, we've covered, you know, most of my map making stuff. Um, today, I, this week, I opened up a new tier on my Patreon to uh, celebrate hitting uh, a thousand followers on Twitter. Um, Congratulations. Which, thank you. It's a super, uh, it's, it's actually a super good deal. Um, everyone should take advantage of it. Um, it's uh, $2 per map pack. Gets you uh, four map variants with day, night, gridded, gridless, high and low res versions in, in each That's of awesome. those. Um, so, which is it's like n not counting the the high low res gridded and gridless. If you just look at you know day and night variants of four different map packs, is like twenty five cents a map. It's, I have no idea why I thought this was a really really right. good idea, but you know um, I, I I I thought it was good for <laughs> it's a great for, deal. Promotional standpoint. I mean it it's, it's it basically deal. says if you're not yeah if you're not subbed then you should be because. You've got the you got the guy over here basically saying I should charge more, and when when a business person starts thinking that, you never know what's going to happen. So get right. in right it's now. It's going crazy. <laughs> We're going crazy up in here. Um, then I just put a um, I, I'm doing a drawing on Twitter to win free maps and a free custom map as well. Um, put put a tweet up about that earlier. Uh, this evening or the evening that we're recording the podcast, got to run that up there for a couple of weeks as well. So that, that's, that's the big stuff going on in my world. Um, got people wanting to interview me on podcast, which for me in my, <laughs> in my brain is kind of weird to wrap my head around. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> Somebody wants to talk to me about the maps. <laughs> I just thought um, it would be a great opportunity. I mean, I think that it was more than just like a, prof it wasn't a professional, would you like to collaborate on this for this split of fee and do this thing? It was very organic. And I, I felt like I wanted to kind of get some of that out there and, and have yeah, that yeah. available. And I think including that in the adventure is something that I don't know. I've never seen an adventure that had a link to a podcast about the adventure in it. So <laughs> I thought that would be fun to do. I don't know. Why not? Just, you know, why not? We, we've given people in at least the first half hour of this, you know, DMs kind of a walkthrough, if you will, of what things are going to look like. So their life's easier running it. Yeah. They might as well listen to the behind pod. the scenes <laughs> look. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a making of. <laughs> I hope little, so. Little, little mini documentary. We right. Do. So I'm, I'm actually really glad I asked you that, that question about the, uh, the food, because the way that you described the the Alfredo there actually made me hungry, so now I'm going to need a snack when we're done here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this happens... I have this problem so often. Uh, the whole concept of Dungeons & Dinners came because the last D&D game that I was in, uh, three of the six players uh, were chefs of some sort or another, and so we all started kind of competing co-opetition you know about making a dinner night but then the dinners required setup and we couldn't you know things would have to stay in the oven or we'd have to make the sauce or the finishing touches so we would end up spending an hour to two hours in the kitchen finalizing the meal and then eat everybody eating and having fun conversation and then two hours playing D, D. so we started calling it you know it was dungeons and dinner is that's what oh, yeah, it was absolutely. and so uh in the in-between sessions where we were talking about what we wanted to do, 
we would do nothing but make each other like, oh man, we could do this kind of food. We could do that with this kind of sauce and this for a side and you could bring that and I can smoke this and this. So it, it became just a constant problem of talking to each other and making each other want really good food experiences and just conversing about food was something that I found just as entertaining because I got to think about new ways to cook and new ways to think about food. And I started relating it to D and D like, well, you know, the whole recipes and rule books episode came from a conversation where we talked about how neither of us really followed recipes unless it was baking. And, and me and one of the other players also never DM'd a game that was rules as written a hundred percent of the way through. And so I was like, that's they're basically the same thing. <laughs> Yeah, um, that that makes perfect sense. My my players because they, they know I, I do enjoy cooking um, and eating. They, they they I feel like they occasionally take it as, as a challenge <laughs> to, to to challenge me to come up with dishes for them in taverns. So one of my mm. so my Tabaxi Rogue had a duck fat fries confit um, at a gastro pub in one Ooh. session, and I was like. Just like, come on, guys, quit trying to break the DM. <laughs> I realize it's funny for you to try so and break I'll, me. I'll, but... <laughs> I'll but... spoil this because it's something that we actually made, but I think it's also great in a D&D world is uh, dragon scotch eggs, which is uh, so a scotch egg is a hard boiled or a soft boiled egg, depending on how you prefer them, mm -hmm. wrapped in uh, sausage and then uh, like breaded and, and fried. Well, so we uh, took the, the hard-boiled egg, wrapped it in sausage, and then cut bacon into squares to tile like like diamond pattern around the egg and then smoked them. And the, the diamond patterning looks kind of like a dragon egg kind of thing. And we called them dragon scotch eggs. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. And fitting for both real eating. Although if you're going to do it, if you're going to tile bacon on... I think we did 24 of them. Just be prepared to have a couple of people tiling bacon for a couple of hours and some good music or a podcast <laughs> on in the background. I suggest this one. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> but, but in a fantasy world, very easy to prepare. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That, that is a, I'm just going to jot that down in my DM notebook with my horrible handwriting that no one can read. Um, <laughs> It's that, arcane, that is you know. brilliant. I, I I prefer to you know I I write in a Sanskrit and cuneiform myself. Um, but <laughs> there you go. So, so yeah, is so, there anything else that you want to to bring up? Any other shout outs you want to give for your platform? Um, yeah, I, I've got some some people that, that I'm working with closely, and you know the the TTRPG solidarity community. Um, that 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 you've joined in on as well, which has been phenomenal, you know, and helping us all grow um, at really exponential rates, um, mm -hmm. absolutely insane. Um, yeah, we, we've obviously we've got hope for TTRPGs. Uh, hope is phenomenal, the absolute best. I yeah. I will I will die on that hill. Um, she is just so supportive of everyone in the community. Um, I don't know when she actually sleeps or get any, gets anything else done, but apparently oh, she know. does. I can't keep up. I like, I I'm breaking follower records almost daily now. And 
I can't keep up on, like, I want to be able to do gift replies for everyone on everything. And it's getting, it's already to the, I don't know how people with like 5,000, 10,000, I like that just boggles my mind how you could ever keep up with that amount of like self-generating content on your feed. It's, it's insane. I'm so appreciative of it, but it's wild. Yeah, it's insane. So, so, you know, obviously hope, um, you know, we've got, Old Gits and Dragons, who kind of started the TTRPG solidarity movement, um, obviously deserves a shout out, even though um, has some strong opinions on pizza toppings. Um, I'm not sure if you've seen those discussions. <laughs> Very strong pizza topping. Op- I try to opinions. avoid. I, I I don't get in. I I can't get into the pizza debates. I refuse because <laughs> I I have the pizza topping like. My pizza toppings are like five-year-old level pizza toppings, so I won't I won't judge anyone <laughs> past it. Um, so you know, then we have a uh, you know some some other um, streamers that I, that I'm working with that are you know helping me. There's um, Dragons Duel, which is actually a really fun uh, streamed pod to watch. Um, you know, game show style uh, with Dungeons and Dragons themed questions, um, and, and Hamilton over there. Um, got Maka over at Check These Out, who I feel like he just stalks me to retweet my stuff sometimes. Um, but that that's fine. I, I return the favor and re- retweet there too. Um, just a, and it's really just a wonderfully supportive community that we've found ourselves just kind of being engulfed by. Really, uh, <laughs> don't get me wrong. I I ain't mad about it, but it's it's phenomenal. I feel like I could go on and on for days and days and days shouting everybody out, but it, I, I, we could take hours doing that just by sure, itself. Sure. <laughs> I, you know, I hope to have a lot of other creators on. Um, I hope to do some more guest content as the podcast grows. Um, so I, I thought that this was going to be, you know, a great opportunity. I'm so happy to have you on as my first guest um, and do this collaboration with you. I hope that, the entire community that wants to get the adventure, grab the adventure, change it, modify it. It's made to be modified, so please do. I hope they all get a chance to just experience some of what collaboration may bring and may, you know, take the chance on making a random Twitter comment on their own and seeing what can happen when they do that, because you never know. Oh, yeah. And that's really going back to, you know, what we were talking about a couple hours ago, that's, that's where this started was, you know, a random Twitter comment about that. And you never know where those things can lead, mm-hmm. you know, just dive down that rabbit hole. We've got what I think is a pretty phenomenal adventure that, you know, we're putting out on, on Sunday. And that's, you know, just complete randomness, stars aligning fate, whatever the heck you want to call it. Um, but I, I think it worked out pretty darn well. No, a hundred percent same. Um, I'm I'm really excited. I even if even if it totally flops, I got to do something that I've never I've never fully formatted an adventure, and I've proven to myself that I can do that. Now it, it's a time consuming process. It's a lot of work, but I can do it. So I'm excited to see where that goes. So keep on the lookout for more content like that. 
Uh, Eric Parker, thank you so much. Maps and Quests on Twitter and are on Patreon. Uh, N underscore Quests on Twitter. I'm running out of the ability to speak as well. We will have links in the description down below uh, if you seek through on this podcast or if you follow either of us on Twitter. Uh, you will be able to find the adventure there as well for free and amazing deals right now on Maps and Quest's Patreon. So get in before he realizes that he could make a lot more money uh, by <laughs> by doing that. <laughs> so get in while the getting is good so you can get grandfathered in. Uh, Eric, thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, I'm I'm really excited to see what you what maps you come up with next. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This has been an absolute delight. Um, and I look forward to seeing, you know, where this goes, where all this craziness that we've gotten ourselves involved in goes to. Yeah. It's I hope we ride. get to epic level. Absolutely. <laughs> right. Thank you so much. <laughs> all right. Thank you. So that's all for the episode today. Please let me know your thoughts, comments, or episode ideas. All of the links and contact information can be found on the card website down in the show notes. If you're interested in supporting the show and getting more bonus content, maybe toss us some coins over to patreon.com slash dungeonsanddinners. If you're looking for more great podcast content, then come check out my other broadcast, Pick Up Your Sticks, which is a long-form podcast about why gaming matters, co-hosted by myself and my dear friend Walker Neer. I'm really excited to be sharing this journey with you, and remember that love is the secret ingredient. Have a good day, friend. Thanks for stopping by.